Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 106 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and resource. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. And if you love the thoughtful and informative content you get here, it might be time to consider becoming a health amplifier today. You can support this community over at patreon.com forward slash highway to health. Every dollar goes towards the development of resource toward a more integrative approach to care. Thanks for your support. My guest for today's show is Jonathan DePotter, founder and CEO of Behold Retreats, a wellness service that facilitates journeys of self-discovery and transformation, including the use of plant-based medicine. After getting to the top of his game as a corporate consultant and objectively living a great life, he had a transformative experience with the aid of plant-based medicine that completely changed his life and focus, and he has since devoted himself to the development of programs and retreats for self-discovery and development. My interest in the therapeutic use of plant-based psychedelics was sparked in recent years with Michael Pollan's coverage of the use of psilocybin with the terminally ill at Johns Hopkins, and later in his book, How to Change Your Mind, where he writes about the history of the therapeutic use of psychedelics, as well as his own experience with therapist-led experiences using different forms of plant-based medicine at the ripe young age of 60. He's been quoted a number of times saying that perhaps psychedelics have been wasted on the young, because as he explains, there are a number of coping mechanisms, habits, traumas, and lifelong patterns that as we get on in age are harder to shift from. And the evidence being gathered for the use of plant-based medicine in the healing of things like trauma, anxiety, depression, substance and alcohol addiction, smoking, anorexia, and even Alzheimer's are showing far better results than anything in modern medicine. That's not to say that mental and emotional therapy support, the work I'm engaged in every day in my practice, isn't beneficial. In fact, I believe it to be an essential part of self-care. But many of our health insurance-supported therapies aren't addressing the underlying spiritual crises that lead to poor lifestyle choices impacting not only our physical, mental, and emotional health, but all of our relationships at some level. As Jonathan and I discuss here, once these base-level problems can be healed, there's new potential for emotional and spiritual growth that opens up possibilities for self-acceptance and a deeper understanding of our interconnectedness and a greater sense of purpose. Here's my conversation with Jonathan DePotter. You're in Thailand, correct? Yeah, that's right. Did you center yourself there because because of the the business and because of where retreats are going to be? No, so um, so I actually moved here four years ago now, and I had the opportunity to establish and and uh, build a the local office for a global consulting firm. So I spent the first two and a half years that I was here establishing and doing the consulting thing. Uh, oh, so wow. um, digital digital strategy and digital transformation programs for uh, for the local Thai banks and a few multinational banks and insurance companies as well. Okay. Um, but throughout that duration, I was kind of preparing for uh, an entry into this line of work and an exit from that from that world. So how long have you been kind of preparing to to do this kind of thing? Did you did you have an idea from your own experience yeah. or how, how did that come together? Yeah, so I had attended a number of retreats over the years, and those had been really beneficial to me. Um, and then it was the time, you know, for, for me personally, it was um, when I discovered some childhood trauma and was able to release that. That was the day and the moment that I was like, wow, there's so much more here than is generally acknowledged and recognized. And um, if I've got these memories that are so locked away that, you know, my waking consciousness doesn't have them, and I'm sure other people do too. And yeah. uh, that's certainly the case. So that was, for me personally, that was the real, the real aha moment. And um, then it was, it's been about three years, probably just over three years since then, uh, really preparing and, and now entering the space. You, you grew up in Hawaii, is that right? Yeah. That was where you were born and raised? Um, so moved to California when I was four. Oh. Um, my mom was, um, I was born in Greece, moved to Belgium, so I'm actually a Belgian citizen now. Oh, that's, and, that's funny. Um, I had a feeling because I have some good friends from Antwerp and I, I, uh-huh. I, I saw the last name and I, I know all the, uh, <laughs> the capital yeah, D yeah. and the <laughs> small D <laughs> references. So. 
Indeed, indeed. So yeah, so we moved to California when I was four, and then Hawaii when I was seven. So I spent most of my childhood in uh, in in the U.S. and in in Hawaii. But, okay. Um, yeah, and then and then I really haven't been back in the U.S. since. So I left when I was seventeen, and um, have been living. T- I lived ten years in New Zealand, and now ten years in Asia. Oh wow. So, so tell me about the the first, you know, the your intention kind of behind doing your first uh, was was it a psilocybin retreat or ayahuasca or what did you do? Yeah, so my first was with um, with ayahuasca, and you know, for me personally, I guess I had just reached a stage in my career where, uh, and at a stage in my life where I just needed something different. You know, I was leading a team of about 120 consultants when I was with Accenture in Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was, was, you know, exactly what you'd expect. Uh, Lots of projects, lots of clients, lots of sales pressure. And, you know, honestly, I was, I had a great life by any modern standard in Hong Kong, but I was drinking a little bit too much, you know, socially. Uh, It wasn't problematic, but it was... It comes with with the work, right? Yeah, very much work hard, play hard sort of environment. And um, and I was an atheist, actually. You could not have convinced me that anything spiritual existed. And... um, and I just remember, you know, after after a particularly long day and probably a particularly long night, looking myself in in the mirror and going, "There has to be more to life." You know, the the next promotion, the next client, the next deal isn't right. going to give me any improvement to joy of life. Right. And so I just I need to try something different. So right. I, I took a year off and so found my way with some friends to an ayahuasca retreat in Peru. In and where Peru? Yeah, in uh, Peru. Okay. And so, what was it? What was that like for you in terms of, uh, you know, you, you you had a you had kind of an intention going in, which is you know seems to be a, a kind of an important part of doing this. I mean, like like any form of therapy, you kind of have to have some sense of what you're there for, right? Yeah, and and honestly speaking, I was not prepared. Um, I probably didn't have <laughs> yeah, yeah. the right intention. I did not have any idea how potentially difficult this could be yeah. uh at least on the on the scale that i personally experienced um and uh, and it was super super challenging so i think if, if i think way back um, the intention that i had would be i think at the intention that i had was around like what should i do with with my time what should i do with my life mm-hmm. um but it wasn't really deeply anchored it was just kind of that was you know, kind of in the days leading in, uh, I was like, oh, well, that's probably what I should think about. And then, you know, the experience itself was so much more uh, intense than I had than I had expected that uh, any intentionality for the first ceremony went completely out the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. And you, you and I have talked a little bit about this, but I so I'm, I work in a field um, more more in the kind of alternative holistic health field, but I've I've worked a lot with chronic pain. I've worked as a manual therapist, craniosacral therapist, movement therapist. Mm-hmm. And in every single realm, things surface, you know, uh, unavoidably. So someone comes in thinking they're they're dealing with a cranky hip or a lower back or something. And, you know, I'm trained now to kind of work with with what comes up in, in those kind of situations, especially through the, the craniosacral work that I do. And there have been times um, where, you know, I, I see things that almost kind of mirror what happens on you know with with psilocybin experiences sometimes where um it's 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 a there are there are images that sort of you know come to light and you can work with them and there are things that just you wouldn't suspect to to come to the surface and feelings you wouldn't expect to come to the surface that then you have to you know you you have to be there and be you know present for and and, you know and, and there's there's a lesson in there and that you know in our in our daily lives we can we can get a lot from being present in those kinds of things, but the the bridge to those kinds of things can take lots of different forms, and that's kind of where I see this as you know I'm, I've studied a little bit of the medicinal history of of you know psychedelics, and I know I know you know what was being done kind of from like the late 30s into the 60s, and it you know un- unfortunately it seems like it got shut down because of the way that it got used in counterculture and Timothy Leary you know, didn't manage it very well, <laughs> a lot of different things. And I think, and you know, on some level, the Schedule One status in the United States also, you know, created a problem. But then, then there was also a lot of problems with research funding and stuff because of what was going on in the 60s with its use. But I think, you know, some, somewhere in the 90s, you know, there's there started to become more, um, 
just more more interest, I guess, from the medical community again of how it could be used for addiction issues and psychosis of you know different sorts. And then it seems like with um, you know the the John Hopkins study that went on with uh, cancer patients, all of a sudden there's like a huge renewed interest in it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think um, what's interesting is that the current science and the current narrative very much revolves around the potential of plant medicine and, and psychedelics to alleviate, I would say, um, you know, it, it alleviate problems that are to do with a lower level of consciousness, right? So PTSD, addiction, depression, anxiety, mm-hmm. all yeah. of those things are, you know, they, they reflect a person who's suffering, who's struggling and, yeah. and wants to be doing better. And, yeah. you know, honestly speaking, we don't have a great deal that seems to be effective these days to, to help those people. And so, you know, I see that as kind of the wedge that's been driving um, the progress in relation to this field. But what I think is still missing from the narrative is, Yes, but we what we've done in the modern world is we've just set mental health at this subjective bar. Um, and we've said anyone who's below this bar, he needs to get some help from someone so that they can be above the bar. Yeah. And anyone that's above the bar is doing great. They can get back to work and get back to life. Um, yeah. And that's that's fundamentally not it. But the way I look at this work is that we all have a current level of consciousness and there is no upper bound to the level of consciousness that we can reach. So if we look at any of the great spiritual teachings, if we look at any great religions, um, you know, the, the messages from the mystics over the ages, it's quite clear that the human potential and the human experience can be much deeper and much broader at, uh, at higher levels of consciousness. And so that's what I think is most exciting about this work is that, yeah, we can fix, you know, the people who are suffering, but what about people who are doing really good and we can get them to, you know, instead of having egoic motivations that are yeah. to do with self and scarcity and uh, am I enough or can I ever have enough, moving them into levels and places of consciousness where they're coming from a position of love versus fear. And yeah. and they are connecting with their tr- their soul's true desire, um, because that you know that's that's stored in a higher place. You know, it's it's not stored in the mind. And so, when people connect with those things, then um, then then it's very exciting to see the transformations that can take place for them. And you know, honestly speaking, the 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 path that their lives tend to take is a result of being able to connect with with higher levels of consciousness. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I think that's, that's, that's a term that I think sometimes people can get very sort of, um, scared off by, uh, you know, or, or just, or just thinking that, that, that even that becomes egoic in some ways to think oh, I need to be higher than I am. Um, but really what we're trying to, I mean, I think what ends up happening in, in sort of that higher level is that we realize that we are connected and that, that all, all of our, you know, well-being is dependent on one another, and 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 the efforts that we put in for ourselves, and that's 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 a really sort of a hard one, especially in the Western mind. It's it's not quite as challenging in the Eastern mindset, it seems like, but that's that's a that's a big one for us to overcome. And so, you know, what is that bridge? You know, I think that, that this is where I, you know, I kind of come in with with some of my work sometimes is, and I do a lot of coordinating work with you know with psychotherapists, mental health people. But also other, uh, lots of other, you know, forms of medicine, and one of the, one of my curiosities for starting this podcast in the first place was sort of asking the question, "What is health? You know, yeah. what, what what are we trying to become healthier for? What's our what's our intention there? You know, and yeah. and, and, and even what is what is our belief system around how we how we become or stay well? Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. And um, yeah, I mean, I think for. For, for us and for, for the word consciousness, and I, and I like what you called out there in relation to you know, achieving, achieving some higher level of consciousness. And I yeah. think it all comes back to, it all, come back, it all comes back to connection and vibration, right? Um, to the extent that we are connected in a deep way with our mental, emotional, physical, and energetic body. Uh, yeah. And then also to the extent that we're connected with those around us. You know, I think there's, um, I don't know, if, if I'm sure if you're familiar with uh, some of Patrick Deneen's work. No. Um, he wrote the book, Why Liberalism Has Failed, which I think is such a, hmm. it's a fascinating, uh, fascinating book. And he's got a great podcast, I think, um, uh, Vox. And anyway, in, 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 oh, yeah. in that podcast, check he it out. speaks about... He speaks about... It's actually what he means is why individualism has failed. And he talks about how... On the right, we have a form of government where people believe the market decides who gets what. And mm-hmm. on the left, we have a group of people who believe that, you know, government should tax 
for uh, providing services to its people. And he says, we believe that those are two fundamentally different things. And he goes, that's fun. That's not that's not exactly right. In both cases, you have a, you have a system where people are removed from their responsibilities to their fellow man. And so we're just drifting mm. further and further apart yeah, from one yeah. another. And we and we can all see that uh, yeah. taking place in America, and and so I think as you know, once we as we deeply connect with ourselves, then it allows us to deeply connect with others, and in a way that doesn't revolve around self, which I think is so important. But before we get into like you know what what you're doing with retreats, I'm curious to hear, having lived in you know out of the out of the United States for so long in New Zealand and and Thailand, what has has that changed your perception of of a lot of things? It has, you know, it really has. Um, certainly in Asia, people prioritize the collective versus individual needs. Uh, and so whereas, you know, when I spend time in the U.S., you can just see everyone expressing themselves very completely and without any reservation of sorts. Um, in Asia, people repress a lot of what they're thinking and a lot of what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's actually kind of, I would say, two, two extremes of, of the spectrum. Uh, and also, you know, it's given me a renewed appreciation also for the extent to which America has success and drive built into their DNA. Uh, yeah. And that, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like, it really is. Like, when you, you know, in, in my past work when I was doing, you know, global transformation programs, you'd, you'd talk country to country when we were, you know, deploying new technology into, into multinationals. And, you know, every country would be like, you know, just being dragged to the starting line as you're like, oh, do we have to do this? Why, why, yeah. why? Can't we just go back and do it the way we did it before? And Americans were always like, all right, let's do this. How do we get it done? And it was just like, wow, that, there's something really different in the pioneering DNA and, and mentality uh, that I think is just so inherent within Americans. And it's it's something that just can't be valued. So that's something that, I, you know, over time, I've, I've really gained a renewed appreciation for. Hmm. That's interesting. So... So at what point did you, so did you go through, you know, a number of different retreats? Did you try different kinds of, of therapy on top of this to kind of get into the work that you're doing? What's, what's that background look like? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, as I, as I was sharing before, my first experience with ayahuasca was pretty overwhelming. And so that, that opened the door to spirituality for me. It gave me a whole bunch of insights and lessons in terms of how to improve my life. What was it? What was what was so overwhelming about it for you? Well, it was it was very physically overwhelming, right? Uh. So five, I, I I ate pretty well, or you know, by um, by modern city standards, I wasn't too careful in terms of what I was eating, um, to be honest, and yeah. on the health side. Uh, and and like as as I shared before, I was also going out and um, having a few too many drinks on you know Thursday, Fridays, and Saturday nights, and so yeah. there was a lot of detoxification. Um, to be done. And so for me personally, that took the form of uh, throwing up about 150 times on the first night. Wow. Uh, so super, super physically intense. And honestly speaking, I, I wasn't mentally, emotionally, physically, energetically prepared for, for that experience. Yeah. By contrast, my, my, one of my best friends who was there with me, he, he didn't throw up at all. Um, so that just, you know, that just shows the, yeah. the spectrum of, of difference of experiences that, yeah. that people can have. Um, and then, and then in terms of, you know, the, but I got so much out of it, not so much the first night because it was just too much. But the second night, I got a lot of insights and downloads of, in relation to my character, how I can turn up for myself and for others in a more beautiful way. Um, and I also got the, the very strong message that, you know, and, and this was, you know, when, when we have these experiences, it's such a powerful message. It's not just like words that come in. It's a very deeply felt sense. I, I like to describe it sometimes as vertical knowledge. It's almost like this knowledge exists in every cell of your mm-hmm. body. Yeah. And so it's a yeah. very powerful feeling. And, and one of the big insights that came for me is, you know, the only limitation that you have is yourself. Um, and uh, I was like, really? But no, there's all these other circumstances. And then the message just comes, you know, yeah. comes back twice as God. It's like, no, 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 this is only about you know, limitations that you place on yourself. And so, yeah. you know, very humbling, but also very empowering. Uh, at the same time. And yeah. so, um, and so, yeah, then I attended a number of retreats over the years and um, different medicines. You know, for me personally, my, my journey was that I would have these powerful experiences 
and this is very common in relation to this, have these powerful experiences and insights, and then your life returns to normal. Then, yeah. And so you remember there was like, oh, there was so much, there was so much there on the retreat and I felt so good about life and so certain, so positive, I need to go do another retreat. And so I was on that cycle of retreat attendance, you know, probably every three to six months, I, I, take a week and go do another retreat, get some de- insights and downloads, and then not quite be able to integrate it in, in the right way, yeah. and then feel like I needed another retreat. So a large part of the motivation for me personally in, in, in relation to launching this business has been like, how can I help people avoid my years of mistakes? And they, they yeah. really were years of mistakes in relation to this work, because the way I see it, it, it the way I see this work now is it's 80% mental and emotional, which is what allows the 20% with plant medicine psychedelics to be as potentially transformative as it can be. But if you don't do the mental and emotional stuff, you're just going to wind back up where, where you were before. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, and my, my other question is, I mean, as as a as a health provider and as as someone who's kind of looking at some of the challenges that people are struggling with, I mean, I I, I treat a lot of anxiety and depression, and and there's always a correlation with with pain and other chronic illness, you know. So, you know, I'm always I'm 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 interested in in these kinds of retreats, uh, also because I, I think I think they're they're another form. Like if if people get stuck, that, that this happens with me a lot. I, I I treat a lot of people through psychotherapists. So when they kind of get stuck in process, they will sometimes send people to me and say, you know, there's they they won't necessarily you know prep me for it because they already know what my work is like. And but the person coming in knows that they're sort of at this at this you know critical point. And that they they they're they're pretty. The, the nice thing about you know my work is that I feel like people come in and they're kind of ready to work. They have a very mm. clear intention. They know exactly what they're doing. I'm not just getting you know random people coming into a clinic, you know, as or as you know urgent care or something as doctors have to deal with people, right? So so the nice thing is that from from that perspective, I I you know I I have I have a different you know skill set or tool set than than the therapist does. But but I the, the way that I look at at you know psychedelics is that it's it's another tool in the box basically I think I think there could be something there that especially when you look at the history of of you know some of the early if you look at some of the early research in terms of how how well it dealt with addiction issues it's unbelievable mm-hmm. it's the, there has been nothing really that has worked as well as psychedelics you know with you know usually therapy you know therapist guided you know work but still. Mm-hmm. That that says a lot about about what might be going on at that low level, as you call it. You know that those all those kind of baseline things that are going on with people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know if we were to put numbers to it, I think you know ninety ninety seven percent of people have been traumatized early in their lives, right? Um, and so whether that's related to childbirth or childhood, um, we often and we often don't even know, right? So we we repress these memories because they the brain correctly recognizes yeah. them as trauma, and so compartmentalizes that memory away as a defense mechanism. And so the neurogenetic effects of these of these tools um, really do reconnect the brain. And, and there's some great research from 2014 where it shows the effects of psilocybin on the brain. And what you can see is, you know, typical modern Western brain uh, is highly patterned in terms of the neural pathways that are being used and overused, actually. So uh, National Science Foundation did some great work to show that your typical person has between 12 and and 60,000 thoughts per day. Um, Almost 100% of those thoughts, pretty much 100% of those thoughts are egoic thoughts. So I, me, my. Um, And then uh, 95% of those thoughts are repetitive and 85% <laughs> of those thoughts are negative. So we're, we're, do, we're thinking a ton. Yeah. We're thinking only about ourselves. We're thinking the same things about ourselves. <laughs> yeah. and almost all of those things are bad. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. And, so, and, so, and so then it showed, um, it showed an MRI scan of the brain with, uh, with the effects of psilocybin. And what it shows is you know, uh, a much higher degree of interconnectivity between regions of the brain that normally don't communicate. And so I think you know, that plays a fundamental role in terms of um, decompartmentalization of the brain. The, the easy example I sometimes give is if you've got someone who says they love their wife, and at the same time, they're they're cheating on their wife. That is an example of a physically compartmentalized brain. Those are two thoughts that are incongruent with one right, another. Right. And and so when people have these experiences and the brain is decompartmentalized and, and harmonized, then there needs to be a reconciliation between these sorts of incongruent thoughts. And and we have and, and for most people, we don't even recognize 
how bad our own brains are because it's just that's just who we are we've over identified yeah. with our mind and um and and we think of mind as self and so to disidentify with that or begin to look at what that thing how that thing is actually treating us is is not a pretty process for for most of us yeah i i, th- I think it's interesting the the way that we process trauma or or not even are, are aware of of something that may have been really kind of critical in our development like so i i, I treat babies too that's one of the things that wow. I, I treat newborns oh, wow. i mean not just not just babies but brand new ones and and wow. it's and it's been interesting over the years because i've been treating babies for maybe 17 18 years something like that so one of the things that I've seen sort of over and over again is that, you know, there are these, because I, I'm, I'm very focused on kind of this autonomic nervous system response, which is like our fight or flight, rest, digest, and mm-hmm. they have to be in balance for us to sort of, you know, be harmonious, maybe at that cellular level, even when you, when you have a baby who comes out and is, and its perception of things is that there's a lot of challenge going on and they're unhappy and they become tighter and they kind of ball up into, you know, and curled fists and all these things. And the and the, the one thing that I found interesting is that sometimes the mom can have a very beautiful birth experience. That doesn't mean the baby had the same experience, you know? And so that says a lot about, you know, it's not, it's not always about, you know, what we're doing as parents. You know, sometimes we come into the world with a subset and sometimes there's stuff that's going on from, you know, the, the time period that the... Uh, gestation was happening and sometimes there's an epigenetic part where you know we come from families of of trauma and that kind of somehow works itself in whether it's an energy or whether it's you know carried forward starting to see more evidence that it's actually there in the cellular material and so that's you know that's one of those things that i think we should all just sort of assume that from the beginning especially based on what you're what you're saying from this study in 2014 that if that's (laughs) if we if if we look at our our you know conscious patterning that tells us a lot about about what we're actually all kind of going through and and collectively most likely yeah yeah that's uh very well said very well said and i think there's just a first paper that's come out i think two months ago or so now showing uh epigenetic changes from plant medicine so it's the first first i think clinical trial first science of psychedelics and epigenetics and so i think that's just just beginning to understand what's possible. You know, some of the spiritual teachers and, and mentors that I've been blessed to learn from over the years, a lot of their focus is on the, the genetic side of things, but from a spiritual understanding, not from a scientific understanding. And so trying to reactivate a lot of dormant DNA, you know, when you hear about these these things that are still not recognized and acknowledged by science, like clairvoyance and uh, telepathy, et cetera, a lot of that has to do with obviously, number one, the, the third eye, the pineal gland, but also um, genetic expression and um, reconnecting mind, body, heart, and spirit um, in the ways that in the ways that they can be connected without the uh, the child trauma and the, the the birth trauma and the childhood trauma, et cetera. Yeah, well, and and it's it's starting to become clear to me. I mean, I'm I'm very drawn to science. I'm very drawn to research. I'm a data person in many ways, but I'm I also am somebody who like feels subtlety with his hands every day and is working with these kinds of things and has studied energy medicine for 25 years. So, like I think there is a there is a marrying that's naturally going on all the time between this science and you know. When the the deeper you go into the science, the more you kind of see the way the the way interconnectedness happens. And to me, that's sort of the base, the the foundation of of any spiritual practice. And I and I think that's you know where when when we kind of get stuck in that in that individual mindset and can't quite get out of that that way of seeing things, things like like psychedelics can actually sort of free that free that up and and just basically open up a perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Better than absolutely. I've I've seen a lot of pharmaceuticals, anyways. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, there's um, it's one of the things that surprised me recently. There's a gentleman that I speak to regularly. Uh, he uh, he goes by the handle of the psychedelic scientist, and um, what he shared with me there's there's long there's been a, a theory around for a long time called the stoned ape theory, right? And that's the whole the whole thing that it's McKenna, it's not right? That, it is McKenna, indeed, yeah. and um, and now within he says within academic circles there's a broad acceptance for that theory, which really surprised me actually. Uh, and he said that I think it's Harvard should be coming out with some stuff. I think late this year or early next year, um, in relation to that, which is going to provide a pretty strong scientific basis for the fact that it's not that these medicines do interesting things to our brains; it's that our brains are as interesting as they are, potentially in no small part as a result of these medicines. So we may have actually 
co-evolved with them, which is um, which could which could change the yeah. the understanding quite quite drastically. Yeah, I've I've read some of that stuff. I mean, I I know the other thing is that they never wanted it to be called the Stone Ape Theory. They thought that was a really dumbing down of the of what they were trying to you know get at with this because I think there's I forget what the the time period is, but I think it's somewhere around like forty thousand years ago. They see a big shift that happened in terms of um, you know language, cognitive abilities. Um, you know, sort of creativity, what we would call creativity. So drawing and even even just world exploration, you know, they started to kind of like, be, you know, believe there was more out there, which is, which, which you know, they think may have come from them finding some some mushrooms accidentally. Yeah, yeah. And, and to link it back to, um, as one of our advisors shared with me, well, you know, that's the reason that that explosion in, um, in the prefrontal cortex is a large part of why our birthing is birthing process is so traumatic. You know, you look at all the other mammals and they're getting it done pretty quickly and pretty easily out there in the wild. Uh, and by contrast for us humans, because we've got these you know, big heads <laughs> at birth, it's yeah. just it's a much more difficult process. And yeah. I was like, wow, that's that's quite an interesting observation. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's get into the retreat. So I'm I'm curious to, to you know see what you've kind of decided to do in terms of you know from your experience how how you've designed this. I know that you I know that it's it's like a seven week um, uh, course of sorts, right? And and that you have a lot of prep time. That's not you know you, you have one week where you're together you know doing something, but the, but there's there's kind of like a, 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 a a preparatory period, I think, and then and then also stuff that goes on afterwards. Correct? Yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly right. So I think you know, the as I shared earlier, the one of the primary mistakes that I was making is skipping the mental and emotional work, and the other one is kind of going into these big groups, right? Uh, big group retreats. And so what we're trying to do is to do something that's much more individualized um, mm. to the person's needs, right? So um, what we do over the seven weeks is uh, to help people get really clear on future self, right? These medicines really do respond to intentionality. Yes. And so to the extent that we anchor to an understanding of our future selves, and you know, I truly believe that any one of us can become whoever we want to be. Yeah. Uh, and so as we anchor to a future version of ourselves that we aspire to, then we can surface the limiting thought patterns, the limiting beliefs, you know, um, yeah. and some of, and, and we often teach people how to connect more deeply with their emotions and begin to release their emotions as well um, in preparation for the retreat. And so once you, then that allows for a really deep intention um, for the retreat that relates to the ego structure rather than something that is, you know, potential to, to bypass the ego structure ego structure. So, so can, can, can you um, explain then, that a little bit in terms of like what you do for the emotional, you know, to kind of get people connected in that way? Because I, in my work, I find that's one of the most helpful things. And it's one of the things that's most challenging for people. You know, they either have like sort of heart centered issues, they have trouble expressing verbally or, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's often our, um, our nervous system is, is, as you well know, it's pretty shot, right? So we use our minds for these things and our bodies for those things. And yeah, there's a connection between the two, but there's not this real felt sense of the whole. Um, and, you know, if I wind back personally five years ago, I would have been like, what are, you, what are you talking about? But like, as you really connect mind, body, heart, and spirit in the ways that they're meant to be connected, you're like, oh, <laughs> now I get it. And yeah. so and so, what we what we do for clients is um, uh, we, we provide a few different tools, right? So there's, I think there's, um, many ways to skin the cat, as it were. And, and it, it depends upon the individual in terms yeah. of what works for them. So for some people, they, they're able to connect relatively easily through meditation. Um, for some people, breath work can be a great tool to just feel a little bit more, get a little bit more sensitivity uh, in the physical and, and energetic body. Um, and, you know, we often try to find, you know, help people use their triggers as the window, right? So whenever mm, that yeah, moment yeah. comes where there's where there's emotions that rise to the surface. Oh, great. So now do the process of releasing those. So, you know, the process that we typically guide clients through is in relation to, you know, allowing first and foremost, allowing the emotion, trying to label the emotion yeah. um, in a, you know, in a descriptive way. And then, and then deciding, oh, well, can I, can I, can I allow this emotion? Can I, could I let go of this emotion? Would I let go of this emotion? So just taking them through that process through therapy and coaching sessions, you know, tapping, helping them tap into the uh, the emotions that they are are struggling with 
both through history as yeah. well as kind of in in modern times you know we all have those people or those moments of life that can trigger us and those yeah. and so that's an opportunity that's a window it's that's a lot of identification universe. kind of stuff going on right because that's that's it's hard to it's you know if you if you've never done any work around this identifying you know wh- wh- where you actually struggle is it's step one yeah yeah absolutely and, and so and then being able to respond versus react right because we often mm, yeah, yeah. react and we don't create that space for ourselves and, and usually you can't get it right immediately right usually i mean you we've got these entrenched patterns and so i would say to people you know be patient with yourself you are trying to rewire your mind you are trying to you know renew your emotional body um and so you know just try at first just try and get faster at recognizing, oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have been so angry there and then go process your emotions, come back and then try and do a little bit better, a little bit better. Uh, you know, one of the meditation teachers that I really, um, I really respect, he says, look, if you can become 5% less angry per year, you know, accrue that over yeah. the rest of your lifetime. That's incredible. I, you know, that's I, I work that way too. Treatment. I think that's important. Yeah. Just thinking yeah, really yeah. small, small bits. Yeah, yeah, and you know, some some of our clients over that seven week process, they're they're pushing themselves really hard, and it's like, yes, but make sure that that's coming from a loving place, right? Because you are perfect as you are. You are perfect, and I truly believe we're, that. Like, we're not achieving anything, right? Right. Exactly. Like you are really perfect as you are, and you can be better, and that's a paradox, and that's that's the beauty of life. Yeah. So, helping people make that shift from like, oh, I'm not good enough. I need to be this. I need to be that. To like. It's okay. I'm okay, and uh, and and things can improve, and 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 applying more of that sort of energy to the to the process. Yeah, yeah. It's it's such an interesting thing because there's there even even with this kind of work, and I see it in mental health work as well. Is like you're there. There's there's always this this you know whatever is beyond the horizon. You think there's something that's always going to be you know be, beyond if you keep pushing and keep pushing. But really, what what we're what you know. The, the peace comes from being being okay with where we are with everything right now which means you know accepting w- what we're challenged by and you know our faults and all these different pieces which is i think also another one of those things that people tend to come to terms with i think when they do have experiences like this absolutely absolutely and i think we've all been guilty at some points of time of you know when when you drive a wedge between what is and what you'd like to be true that's a very painful place to be. It's it's horrible, right? Because right, right. you, you're basically you're at odds with reality itself, and and it's unlikely that reality is going to change at the you know at the drop of a hat. And so it's all about harmonization, you know, harmonization yeah. within, and then harmonization uh, with with the outside world as well. And so, um, you know, as as we attune ourselves to the lessons that the universe is constantly trying to send us in terms of our next opportunity to elevate consciousness, then then the game of life takes on a completely different shape and form yeah. because we're just seeing it as feedback, as stimulus, as messages. Um, and how we deal with that is really is really up to us. And so, you know, just in, in taking a, a curious mindset to like, what okay, what is it that I'm meant to be learning here or meant to be seeing here that I that I haven't seen before because there's always something there. Yeah. Uh, and, and that really becomes a magic uh, when, when clients get that and they make that shift, it's, it's magical to see them make that transition to like, Oh, I'm being sent all these messages. And as, as opposed to seeing hardship and challenge and negativity yeah. and, you know, uh, victimized by the outside world. It's, right. uh, it's, it's beautiful. Well, that's, that's the interesting thing is I think, I think so many of us, and, and I, I, I struggle sometimes with like the term PTSD because suddenly everybody has PTSD. And I'm not saying that that people don't because there are clearly some really, you know, b- bad things that I, I treat a lot of this stuff in my practice. And I, I lived in New York during you know, 9-11. I mean, I, I know some of the things that, that people go through, but, you know, sometimes we just had really bad experiences, you know, our business failed, our marriage failed. That's not necessarily PTSD, but, but, but I think it can set us into this path of, of what, you know, what, what you were talking about of just reactivity to things, right? We kind of like overstimulate that sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight response. And suddenly like we can get so patterned into thinking like 
every every situation is sort of there to to demean us or you know that we become victimized by every every place that we go and i think that's that's the part that we are you know in terms of the work that you're doing and in terms of the work that i do on a day-to-day basis i'm trying to get people into this mindset of of not being overly reactive but to respond as you're saying like to be able to sit with that and say okay how do i feel about this rather than just like feeling really loudly <laughs> you know the first thing that comes out hundred percent, a hundred percent. You know, we did a survey recently and it found that 46% of the survey group, American survey group, um, they believed that they were the best person that they know. And <laughs> when I first saw that statistic, I was like, I was just shocked. I was like, what? Like, yeah. I, I don't get me wrong. Like what we do for our clients is try to help them often help them build their self-image, right? right, in, right. In a, you know, in the right sort of non-egoic sort of a way. Right. But it just shows that, um, you know, there's a, in the levels of consciousness that we, that we use, um, pride uh, features very strongly. Oh, and so yeah, I think yeah. a lot of Americans are in that place where like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm there and I'm this. And it's like, and so they externalize a lot of that versus the internalization. And I see that, um, I see that within some of my friends and, and also their, you know, brothers and sisters where um, they really externalize everything. Like there's something out there that is always at fault. And I think through, you know, through the schooling system in the U.S., there is a real like, there's a real like you are, you're perfect the way you are which, you know, I think to a degree is true, but then people deflect. They don't, they, they're just unwilling to look at any of their own stuff. It's all, it's all on the outside versus, yeah. you know, I, through this work, you come to realize, oh, it's, there's the only type of knowledge is self-knowledge. And so anything right. that's out there that, that, that you don't like says something about you. It doesn't say that anything about the thing that's out there. That's just a, an expression of consciousness. It's just, there's some trigger there. There's some opportunity there for you to look into for yourself and, and to try to release. Yeah. And, and the other thing that, you know, I think, especially right now, as we're kind of, I, I, I really feel like we're all going to be kind of going through a recovery process with the pandemic. And, and I have, I have a good uh, close doctor friend who has been sort of talking about this for years that, that people in the medical world need to have, you know, something like this sometimes as a, as a, as a recovery tool, because, and I can, can only imagine, I mean, my, I'm, I'm not in a health field that's being hit quite as hard by, by what's going on with, with COVID in the U S but, but I, I think there are a lot of people and, and just the, the, the politicization of what's going on with it too. It's, it, it's something that people really need to have, I think, some support to kind of get, get back to a baseline uh, of themselves. And, and, I, and I think you know, what his, his idea was to have some kind of a retreat center where, where we where, because the other thing is that medical people are like notoriously terrible about like going to the doctor themselves and getting the basic workups and having a physical done and blood work and all this stuff. But that, you know, with, with that, you know, in that same kind of place that we could have, um, you know, some movement therapies, meditation, you know, body work, manual therapy type stuff like I do, and, and possibly some, you know, ayahuasca or, or psilocybin as, as a way to kind of, you know, again, the, just another tool in that in that you know way of being able to kind of change the perspective. Because I find in my work a lot of times, especially when it whether it comes to pain or depression or or anxiety, it's it, we're trying to shift the narrative that we have. You know, and and a lot of that narrative, as we've been talking about, is very self-identified and and the and and a belief system that you know a lot of times that either either falsely that they are completely enough you know like they that that they're they're important you know and and one of the best people that they know or that they're the worst person you know like that those those are the things that i think you know people kind of get stuck in most of the time or that the experiences that they have have or that you know the the parents that they had or whatever are the reason that they that they struggle rather than you know being able to just step into the responsibility that we all struggle and we should all be doing some kind of self-work on a regular basis, whatever it is. Maybe it's, you know, maybe these kinds of retreats or, you know, seeing a, a, a psychotherapist, you know, manual therapist, whatever it is that kind of helps them free up some of that, that old patterning and that old kind of cognitive dissonance that kind of gets stuck in us somatically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think you're right. I think there's a lot more people that want to take a more holistic approach to their health. You know, um, actually, my my mother was recently diagnosed with um, stage three in her remaining kidney, and mm. um, you know, it's true. It was it was shocking that the medical world really had no answers, and so we're we're you know we're pursuing some different paths, and I think a lot more people are 
are taking responsibility back into their own hands. And I think COVID has really triggered that to a great extent. Yeah, you know, it's so been too. really interesting. There's so much focus on a, and I'm not you know pro or anti-vax, but there's so much focus on that specifically. Yeah. Um, and there's no focus on breath work. There's no focus on meditation, cellular health, immune system, exercise, sunlight. And I'm just yeah. like, where, like if ever there was a time for the television to just make a big switch and be like, look, 30 minutes a day, here's, you know, here's <laughs> what you need to know in relation to yeah. taking care of your health and just sickness. All we're talking about is sickness. And it's like, what about health? Like, yeah. why can't we talk about health? And yeah. so I think there's a lot more people who are like, okay, I want to be well. I don't want to be talking about sickness. I want to be talking about health. And, yeah. and that's going to be the frame of mind that allows me to be healthy. Right. Um, and, and, and so I think, I think COVID is, you know, in many shapes, you know, uh, you know, there's, no doubt there's a lot of downsides, but it's, it's, I think it's, it has a, many blessings to it as well in terms of what it's, what it's, it's bringing to the surface for yeah. many of us. Yeah. And, and that, and that's, you know, back, back to what you kind of started out with earlier, this wellness, this sort of like the, our potential to be whatever higher level of ourselves we can be is unlimited. We, 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 we like to think that, you know, once we don't have any, any physical symptomatic stuff going on, that we're just good. But I think I think you know that this is one of those things that that I, from being in this field for so long, is is I think health is about really being present to this this opportunity of life, and I think that's that's one of the things that people just you know they they really struggle to stay in that space, and that you know I the, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I feel like there's there's something going on here with with you know using uh, a guided retreat like this that that might actually be like a, a you know a tuning fork of store of sorts you know to be able to do that on a, on a regular enough basis and and but realistically I, I i think we we can't expect too much from just doing something once either <laughs> you know what i mean and I, and i've yeah. i've worked with a lot of people who have been to some retreats in different places in the world and they come back with you know s- some really amazing epiphanies but you still got to do the work just as you do in in, in any sort of therapy 100% 100% and that's that's a large part of what we're um, there's there's more science out there which is pointing to that you know because what you typically find is in the clinical world they're paying attention to the mental and emotional work and they have no idea what's happening in relation to the energetic work like yeah. just no idea so so the current uh i guess the current paradigm in terms of psychedelic medicine is oh we need another ten thousand psychedelic therapists to go through a two-year course at you know one of the universities and it's kind of like it's, that's helpful um but they're missing the energetic aspect, and so the shamans and you know the ancient wisdom traditions, they don't really do so much on the on the mental and emotional stuff. They focus on the energetic stuff, and yeah. so we're starting to see those worlds merge yeah. um, in in a way that it's like okay, now this is getting very exciting yeah, it's because cool. it's it's the holistic approach, which is of course what's required in order to to raise the vibration. Yeah. So so what have you guys decided to do in terms of? I'm sure you have a pretty good team of people now who have to be involved in this. Where do, where do they come from in terms of training and what do you, how do, how do you select people? And, and even how do you, how do you, how do you select or how do you screen for, you know, having the people in, you know, who want to be part of the retreats? Yeah. So there's a, a rational answer and a spiritual answer okay, to your okay. question. And so the, the rational is what you would expect in relation to there's, there's no, in this line of work, there's no replacement for experience. Um, like you just, how many years have you been doing this work makes a massive difference yeah. because you know these are um, these are powerful experiences and yeah. so um, there are patterns of course that emerge you know I think we all like to think of ourselves as so different but people who've worked in this space for 20 or 30 years they very quickly know exactly what you need to work on you know yeah. a few sentences is and they're gonna go yeah yeah, yeah I, got, I got it <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so and so there's 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 a lot there and so we definitely look for experience you know there's um, most of our practitioners have been doing this work for between 15 and 30 years um and uh you know the other the other dynamic is that most people who enjoy doing the retreats and the facilitation the medicine work they don't really enjoy doing the the mental and emotional work right so those are so we bring together the coaches and therapists to help people prepare for these experiences and then we send them to the people who enjoy doing uh, the medicine work in right. the, the retreat work so we're, we're certainly we're looking for experience the spiritual answer to that is we're looking for people who have uh, achieved and sustained a higher level of consciousness and so um, people who are very energetically adept are able to tune into other people's level of consciousness 
practice. Yeah. It's all it's all energetic. And so they're able to see the vibration that people are at. And the reason that we're looking for that is because there is a harmonization that takes place. You know, if you've heard the term the benediction of the guru, or if you look again at any of the great religious teachers over time, a large part of what people were wanting to do was to spend time in their physical presence because, you know, to use physical physics language, when there's two frequencies, the low frequency harmonizes towards the higher frequency. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, speaking on, on more of a collective scale, I think a lot of what we see ourselves going through at the moment is 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 an attempting you know is harmonization between people who are at different frequencies there's people who see the groups mm. of people yeah, who see yeah. the world very differently from others and as a result of that there's things that are being thrown out of balance yeah. um or or attempting to harmonize as a result of a result of that and so that's really what we're looking for when it comes to practitioners is yeah. lots of experience and um they're able to bring people to a higher place because fundamentally they they themselves have reached a reached a higher place yeah, it's interesting. Even in my work, I you know I, I find that there's there's a big part of my work that's that's about really staying neutral to lots of different types of personalities, you know, which is not always easy, and and also kind of to what you're saying with you know with with um, this harmonization and 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 even even working on this energetic level. You know, the thing about our our nervous systems, our you know our our consciousness and our you know the energy that kind of comes through this. We we are kind of tuning forks, and we can really like pick up a lot of information. And I, I would have you know at the beginning of my career, I I would have said this is kind of a lot of hoo ha. But I've had these experiences when I'm working with people, and they and they especially if they have a, a memory or if if they have an image or or a, you know something that that takes them to a very specific place. And I'm and I'm and I'm asking them questions about what's going on, and I'm very grounded in the body when I'm working with people. But, and maybe it helps to have you know for me to have hands on them while I'm doing it. But you know they can be describing you know a, a specific place in time, with a you know a loved one in a specific room telling me the details, and I swear I feel like I'm right in that space with them. And it sounds kind of crazy, but I think I think I am I am able to kind of tune into what's going on, and it's almost as if it, when, when I when I'm at that level, because really the way I think about my work, I'm, I'm, you may think about this your work as well this way, but that I'm facilitating a process. I'm not I'm not there to to tell them what to do. You know, I'm I'm really there to sort of be present for their process, and so yeah. I, I imagine that that's that's a lot of what needs to go on with these people who are spending their time with you know on the retreats. Yeah. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so when I first when I first um, started working with private healers, you know, because a lot of what we do is is group work, but we do private work as well. When I mm. started working with some private healers, and the first ceremony that I did with them, uh, the, it's a it's a couple, and they work they work together. They've got a, a lovely family. And um, the, the the moment the, the ceremony started, her first thing was Jesus Jesus Christ, how much how much video games have you played? So she was seeing the release of all of these images uh, oh, from wow. my video game addiction from when I was, I, you know, I played video games probably 18 hours a day from when I was like 13 to 17, like as wow. much as possible. I was really into it. And she's like, and she was like, she was overwhelmed by the energy. She's like, wow, how much, how much video games did you play? We had never talked about video games before that. Um, and she was, she was, I mean, the, the extent to what she could see uh, was just incredible. It was just like, she could see everything and um and then her husband is super talented in uh, in the sense that he's really able to go into other people's physical bodies so actually transplant his consciousness into someone else and i know this sounds pretty out there and abstract right, right. but once 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 you actually have the feeling of someone else going into you energetically and releasing out the things that are that are blocking you it was just like wow that's that's really quite something and it sounds it sounds like you're doing something very similar when you're working with people in um in in your osteopath yeah and 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 to think you know for for some people who who think this is crazy i mean anyone who's ever fallen in love has had that sort of experience you know you there's some kind of merging uh, that goes on and and i think there's a healing process that goes on with that and i you know i, I think we 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 can get very focused on like you know it's it's the uh, it's the sort of romantic notion that the, that the West has anyways of, of what these love relationships are supposed to look like and that there's only one person for you and all this stuff. I think, I think if we took that outside of the, you know, that and thought about our, 
you know, our communities and our, you know, all of our friendships and all of our, you know, things that we sort of come into contact with, with that same kind of energy, we would probably be able to feel more of, of what's going on energetically. And it's, it's much, you know, for me, because I'm doing this work all the time, it feels like energy now feels very, you know, tangible. I don't think about it as, as, you know, a non-material thing. Absolutely. And for me, you know, for me personally, it's um, like the degree to which I can feel vibration in my body now as a result of this work and, and cleaning up diet and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. It's like I can all, I, I feel like I can really just feel like vibration on a cellular level in my body. And, you know, like I made the mistake a couple of weeks ago of um, a friend was visiting and I and I had just literally I had one drink and for three days I was just like. I was out of it. It just, it really rocked me energetically. Yeah. And that was just one drink, you know, and it was just like, it, I'll never, I don't think I'll ever touch another one ever again. Huh. Um, and, and equally, you know, like um, a friend, uh, a friend invited me to a party and a very nice group of people, uh, you know, a few more on the, I would say on the alternative side. And I had been to a similar party before. And I just find myself now, I find myself too energetically sensitive to be in a, in a group of people like that. I, I pick up on a lot of their energies and I can I, I feel it. I have the same challenge. My, <laughs> yeah, and it's, I can feel it. Yeah, you, yep. can, you can feel it in your physical body. Um, and it took me, again, it took me a couple of days to actually be able to clear out the, um, the energies that I had picked up from other people. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, so, so it's, it's, it's fascinating to, yeah, to, I guess, gain command of the mental, the physical, emotional and, and energetic well-being um, of self. And it was, you know, again, I would have five years ago, I would have laughed at anyone who was describing yeah. what I've just described here yeah, because I would yeah. have been like, you, you've lost it. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so um, with with the retreats, I know you're starting to do them in different places too. So, where where are you, you know, s setting up for these retreats? Yeah. So, uh, at the moment, most of our work takes place in Mexico, okay. Costa Rica, uh, Portugal, and the Netherlands. We're okay. definitely will will reopen in Peru once they're in better shape. It's um, unfortunately COVID has really hit them hard. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, all, all really beautiful locations. I think it's, it's so nice. I always recommend to my friends, like, look, take, take in our clients, take a week, take 10 days and really just, you know, be able to remove yourself from the pressures of everyday life. I think, yeah. you know, there's an aspect of American culture of like, Oh, I can just, you know, drive two hours and do this on the weekend. It's like, yeah, you you can, but like, I think you're important. I think you're more important than that. And I think this work is more important than that. I'm not trying yeah. to discourage people from doing, you know, shorter experiences, but, but to be able to take the time and the space to really go deep with yourself over a week uh, and then give yourself a few more days, I yeah. think is, uh, is a beautiful way to Afterwards do Afterwards to, to kind of, you know, yeah, I, I, I do the same thing with my work. I usually, I, I don't give people days, but I, you know, a lot of people will come to their, you know, one hour or 90 minute appointment with me and then, and then want to just go right back to work and, and feeling like, okay, did my, did my work back to, back to life. But I always say, you know, take some time if you can to just, you know, sit in that in that sense of how you feel and you know journal or go for a walk or anything that that may kind of help to you know bring you you know maybe you'll pick up a a little more information even just from just from being in that space for a little longer and i always say that you know the 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 session is the place where you do the work but you know afterwards is is where you start to kind of you know come up with your ideas about how you're going to integrate this mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, and that's what we do for the three weeks after with our clients is like, okay, you've had this powerful, profound experience, but how are you going to actually use this to improve your quality of life? Because you didn't, you know, I always say to people, you don't want to go on an ayahuasca retreat or a bufo retreat. What you're looking for is improvements to quality of life. And yeah. this is a tool that you'd like to use to get there. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just, you know, I think you said it perfectly. It's just, it's just a tool, how we use it, what is what makes the biggest difference. Yeah. Cool, man. This has been such a great time. Um, I want to I want to try to stay connected with you and get some more get some more info too. So if there's ever anything that you know, as you're as you guys are kind of putting more new things together, um, if there's you know ever any resource that you can share, I, I know you and I talked before about. I really want you to write something for me, so <laughs> to to yeah. share to people. I, I think I think it's important to 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 demystify some of this too, and to, and to actually make you know have it be something that I mean. 
with spiritual matters, you know, I think there it's 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 never quite concrete. I think everyone's experience on some level is going to be different, but I do think that there's a cohesiveness in terms of, you know, how we how we end up together after doing this kind of work where we where we feel, you know, more connected or we feel better about each other and that kind of thing. So, I'd like to I'd like to, you know, continue to get more of your perspective. Beautiful. Well, always always happy to share, you know, for me it's um Again, the motivation is just to help people avoid the years of mistakes that I yeah. made. So always, always happy to put good information out there. We do. Um, we we guide a lot of our prospective clients. We have a one-hour webinar okay. on our uh, on our website where I just try to you know help people understand the mistakes that I made. And uh, so that's you know a beautiful resource for people to say, oh, okay, well here's a few things that I might avoid. And I always say, look, whether or not you work with us, like here's a few things that you probably really benefit from knowing. Okay, cool. And I'll, and I'll have all links up on on our on our YouTube channel and on the show notes too so if you know whoever's listening right now can just check that out right now click on on your on your website and and any any links to anything that you want to share as well beautiful all right thanks jonathan i really appreciate it man thank you jeremy Jonathan DePotter, folks. I find this to be a very exciting topic, especially at a time when so many of us are living with the fear of an uncertain future, due in part to the pandemic, but also because of where human progress has led us. I don't think I'm alone in pondering what the future holds for humans on this planet if we don't heal these lower parts of ourselves and move toward a greater understanding of our responsibility to ourselves, to each other, and to our precious ecosystem. After this conversation, I found myself thinking, we have drugs for physical and emotional health challenges, but what if the challenge is a spiritual one in nature? And shouldn't our spiritual state be considered part of our health equation? When we're overwhelmed, we learn to desensitize, tune out, and eventually shut down. This is not a state for healing, and certainly not one for enlightenment. I approach this topic as someone who addresses these challenges daily in my practice. And my interest is in how we can best leverage this plant-based medicine to improve our state of being. In the case of people who are suffering and really struggling to find hope in their lives, this should be a therapeutic option in our country, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Until then, you'll have to travel outside of the United States and seek support for this kind of work. If you're interested in learning more about what Jonathan and his team do, check out Behold Retreats. That's behold-retreats.com. And let me know what you thought of this topic in conversation. You can reach out to me anytime through the contact page of our website, highway2.health. And if you'd like to watch us have this conversation, head over to Highway to Health podcast channel on YouTube. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends.